We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How can we use preseason information to get better at fantasy and not fall into traps? That's what we're talking about this week on Stealing Bananas. I'm your host, Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. And you can find all of his work at Rotoviz. Zero RB lists are out. They are a hugely important part of any draft plan, but especially if you're doing anything that we're talking about on the show. So make sure you're subscribed to, at Rotoviz and, and have access to those. And then we have a great guest today, Pat Corain, our buddy, formerly of Rotoviz, formerly of Established the Edge, uh, Established the Run and Established the Edge. And not, now he's at NBC Sports Edge. There's a lot of edges in your, in your background, Pat. Host of a good football show over at NBC, doing awesome work on the blurbing. We're bringing him in to talk a little bit about the preseason news and what stuff we're learning. Has also written a fantastic running back series about legendary upside this offseason. Definitely need to be read. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit as well. But, Pat, how you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, definitely. So the first thing we want to talk about is sort of this idea of how we adjust the preseason news. It's what we've been talking about this week. And you had some interesting thoughts on sort of how you've been playing some things, some things you saw this year that can give us some good lessons for next year and future seasons. How are you playing that in, in your best ball drafts as you were building out a large portfolio of those? Yeah, so this is the first year that I've really done high volume best ball drafts and started drafting, you know, earlier than I ever really have. Um, and I wasn't even drafting that heavily kind of in the April, May timeframe, but you know, to be doing high volume drafting in like late May and then into June uh, is something I hadn't really done before. Um, a lot of my drafts previously have, have really kind of kicked off in mid-July or, um, you know, early to mid-July when FFPC drafts open up main event season starts. Um, but this year has been different and it's just kind of occurred to me seeing the ADP shift around. The, you know, the pre some of the preseason stuff that we know is going to come, I was actually able to uh, gain a, a bit of an advantage on ADP, just being on the lookout for that. So like when Elijah Moore was tearing up Jets camp, it's very easy to think, well, what happens when, you know, a less reported on team that's not based in New York starts, uh, 
starts having reports come out on Rondale Moore or Rondale Moore gets in a preseason game. Like the, the trope of, you know, this guy's tearing up camp, you know, is so predictable and actually being able to get out ahead of that. Like, I don't think you want to necessarily be buying those tropes once they come to pass, but we all knew that like Rondale Moore looks like a star and training camp blurb was, was basically pre-written. You know, we just like loaded it up in the NBC CMS in, uh, in June and, uh, and, and hit publish in July so, you know, that that's a, that's an example of something that I was like pleased that I was able to kind of get in front of to an extent. Um, there's also guys that I just completely loaded up on at cheap cost. Ben, you and I have been really on Jacoby Myers, and he's a guy that, you know, in the 15th round I was loading up, in the 13th round I was loading up. Now he's in like the 10th, 11th round in these underdog drafts, and I'm I'm good. Like, I don't need to draft him anymore. At one point, my highest owned guy on underdog. Now he's like, I don't even think he's in the top 10 anymore because of how much his price has risen. So that's that's been something to be, you know, aware of as the price moves up. If you're able to load up early, then you can you can kind of say goodbye to that player and move on to other targets. One spot where I'm not as happy with myself about is I was like pretty stubborn on Zeke Elliott to begin the offseason of like, ah, this guy, you know, he looks like he's on the decline. And, you know, I'm not I'm not going to be buying back in regardless of how excited we are about the Dallas offense. But at one point he was going like the late first, early second round. And the he's in his bet the best shape of his life blurbs and and you know those stories were coming out, you know the the Dallas offense poised for a huge bounce back year stories were coming out. So I'm I'm definitely a little bit irritated with myself that I didn't jump on the cheap Zeke shares um, because as much as I want to be underweight on Zeke in general, I think being underweight on Zeke and also having exposure to Zeke at a much cheaper cost than other people would have been amazing. Mike Leone tried to get me on that. I stubbornly uh, refuse to listen, so I'm I'm kind of annoyed with myself that I didn't that I didn't know, and I should I've been doing this long enough to know the the Zeke is in incredible shape, lost weight, looks spry, like that was coming. Pat, we're going to want to ask you about Elliot and how he fits in to this idea of legendary upside a little bit later. I did want to ask you about some of this rookie advancement and ADP. Curtis Patrick has a great article on the site about the difference in the number of rookies that we see in the top 100 pre and post draft, obviously they move way, way up. Blair Andrews has a great article on the side about the young guys and how they work with win rates in best ball. And that, you know, the late guys, it's actually pretty disastrous to load up on a lot of these swing for the fences players that people like, you know, Jamison Crowder or Sterling Shepard are going to be much better late round picks. With that kind of as context, how much does it matter to you if you think the guy is good? Now, I mean, obviously you're going to be drafting the players that you're on, but is Rondell Moore somebody that we know is going to jump way up because we also have him rated way above most sources, or is he going to jump way up either way? Are, are you trying to target a pretty wide range of players, or is it your guys you just want to be incredibly high on uh, early in the offseason? Yeah, I, I generally want to be targeting rookies who I think are good. Because the whole play to me with rookies is that they're stars, right? I wrote in a, a series um, early in the summer on these rookie wide receivers that have actually done quite well in terms of best ball win rate um, uh, in terms of like big hits. You know, you're getting a lot of top 20 win rates from rookies over the last few years. And um, it's not necessarily the guys that we would think like DK Metcalf was a league. He was he was hurting you if you had DK Metcalf as a rookie. Um so there's guys who, you know, deliver big wins in year two that are actually uh, value drains on your team in, in year one. So I think you want to cast a wide net 
to an extent, but the bet still is that these guys are going to come in and play highly efficient football from the jump. Even guys like Justin Jefferson, you know, basically everybody but Brandon Ayuk, um, who's been uh, who's been a hit as a rookie, was running below average routes uh, for you know compared to veteran wide receivers. So like you know Justin Jefferson has the best rookie season ever. He's still not running an above average number of routes over the course of the season, and you know I think that makes sense given that these guys sometimes they take time to come on and fully earn the coach's trust. If you have a rookie as your number one wide receiver, maybe that's not a high volume offense in terms of the passing attempts as well. So there's like I think a couple reasons for that, and you want to then be making sure that you're betting on the guys who you think can come in and immediately be stars. So Rondale Moore is a guy that I was. I've been betting on Terrace Marshall, Elijah Moore, um, Deami Brown is a guy that I take a lot of because I think his profile is vastly underrated given his production. Uh, The fact that he came in early, still decent draft capital with a third round pick. Guys that I was not on really at all, Amonara St. Brown, uh, just a a clear opportunity play. Uh, Now, if he had gone in the second or third round, his profile would have been very, very interesting to me. But a day three opportunity play is not something that I want to be betting on. Um, And he wasn't like super, super cheap either. Um, You know, the the other guy would be Amari Rogers. Never got on Amari Rogers. Very, very weak profile. And just another opportunity player that that obviously has already evaporated with the Randall Cobb trade. So um, the other guy that I haven't been able to get on as much as I would like, because I didn't get a ton of them in Dynasty, and I was like, well, I'll hedge with my, with my best ball shares. Devonta Smith has been really hard to get because he's so expensive, more expensive than CeeDee Lamb was last year. And I think a lot of that's driven by opportunity. So I do want to be price sensitive when the, the bet everyone else is making is, is on opportunity. And I don't think that's the way to go with these rookies. I want to be betting on them uh, to be breakout stars at a reduced cost. Yeah, that's a that's really interesting. I want to uh, switch gears though because we have to talk about the J.K. Dobbins injury. We we recorded our first two episodes this week prior to the preseason games. We're recording here today on Monday. The show will release on Wednesday of this week. It's possible that the Ravens you know, make a free agent signing. Although the latest news this morning is that they are not particularly interested in Todd Gurley, who is a player they were. Uh, who they worked out, you know, months ago or earlier this offseason. And so that, you know, was the quick and easy speculation that they might bring him in at this point. It sounds like that won't be the case. The big the, the big part of this now is obviously, first of all, Gus Edwards looks like he's going to be sort of the lead back. We don't know if that means, you know, a, a very clear lead role or the lead of a committee. Uh, the Ravens have obviously rotated. The big news is who's going to be the next guy, who's going to be the number two and Tyson Williams is the guy that has been generating a ton of buzz. The main beat reporters in Baltimore all are saying in unison, he's the clear number two. Uh, he's a bigger back, played at a couple different colleges, didn't have a ton of production, finally looked like he was getting his opportunity at BYU, then tore his ACL his final season. Uh, but a former four-star recruit out of high school has some, some positive notes. He, he's been described sort of as a straight-line runner. I'm thinking of him kind of as – the new Gus Edwards in this, in this offense, Pat, where are you, what are you hearing about Tyson Williams about, about the buzz and how that all pertains to obviously justice Hill, who's a longtime favorite of, of a few people on, on this uh, current recording. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's very true. I, 
I'm, you know, well, I guess my my take on this is maybe a little bit differently. And then I think the biggest news is still Gus Edwards. Like, I think Gus Edwards now um, could potentially be kind of like a, a Mark Ingram style win uh, from a couple years ago in this offense. Uh, now, you want to have already had him. I don't, I'm not planning to be, you know, drafting Gus Edwards going forward, really, because he doesn't catch passes. But I think he could still have quite a bit of value. Uh, in terms of Hill versus Williams, it sounds like that Hill was really on the bubble with a healthy Dobbins, that he had been, he had had a quiet early start to camp, and then he has this ankle injury, and Williams seems to have passed him, truly. So that's not great, right? If, if now he's basically been, his roster spot was saved by Dobbins' injury. At the same time, Williams has a profile that's a little excited about for me um whereas justice hill's profile is pretty exciting uh he's he's not as big but you know if there's any pass catching value to be had here it's going to be from from a guy like justice hill not from williams and then you know you also now with gus edwards he's much less involved as a receiver than dobbins would have been so that might be where there is some additional value hill's definitely going to make the team now um so it's kind of like it's definitely concerning that Hill may have been on the chopping block, but now that he's been saved by, you know, this situation, uh, I'm still interested in him. And the nice thing here is that the market prefers Williams. So if the market prefers Williams and I can sit back a couple rounds later and grab Hill, then that's the way that I want to play it. And we had a main event draft uh, yesterday and we were able to get to get uh, Hill in the 16th round. And I believe Williams went in like the 13th or 14th. Sean, where are you at on that? I mean, the zero RB guy, are we going to see either of these names in the, in the updated zero RB rankings? You've been a huge Hill fan. I, I want to make sure we get your take on this as well. Yeah. So I released a deep watch list in addition to the top 15 this year, because there were some guys in the kind of 16 to 20 range that I felt like, especially with the news that was developing over the weekend, were pretty interesting. And I put Hill on there just to remind people, number one, that he's super athletic. Number two, that he came in and was a star at Oklahoma State. I think it's easy to forget how good he was and that the Ravens, when they drafted J.K. Dobbins, they went out of their way to say, look, Hill is good. And we think that he has a future, number one in the league, number two on our team. And we just had to take Dobbins because basically we don't know what the other 31 teams are doing. I mean, he should not still be here. And then in the offseason, they said, I mean, he's going to be a part of this team. He brings explosiveness. He brings pass catching. And so everything was pointing in a very positive direction until all of the things happened that, that Pat just referenced where, you know, maybe not a great start to camp than the injury. I think that if you have this contrast in camp between someone who is hurt and is not out there and then someone else who comes out of nowhere and looks fantastic, then it can just change things in the coach's minds. Um, you know, very clearly. I mean, even just thinking back to my own very minimal, you know, division two college tennis coaching situation. I mean, if you've got people who aren't there versus people who look great, I mean, your, your mind is going to shift on how that whole thing works. I think that we know so clearly that these guys with production have an edge in terms of more production. I mean, we look at people like Lindsay, uh, Philip Lindsay, we look at guys like James Robinson, we look at guys like Miles Gaskin, we look at what's happening in Washington right now, which I want to get Pat's take on. Those players, even when they're not necessarily given a chance, they come through and they play. And so the contrast in terms of 
what the two potential backups have done in the past, I think leans heavily to Hill. Now, for any individual guys, there can be situations where they just didn't get the right chance. And if Williams looks great now, I think that you have to pay attention to that. The main thing I think that Pat is saying here is actually all these guys are more or less hands off, right? I mean, you can't draft Gus Edwards where he's going to go because he's still going to lose a ton of volume and he's not going to catch passes. The secondary guy is not going to have the volume. is not going to catch passes. Hill might. And so um, I still like him there. Ben, you and I drafted him in the last round with Davis when we did our FBG draft a month ago. That pick, I think, looks a little bit better now. At the same time, he's almost someone that is difficult to roster going into week one because you might want to take your shot on somebody who is probably going to play, right? I mean, it doesn't make sense to draft Justice Hill when you know you're going to cut him for a waiver wire ad you need after week one. Whereas, I mean, there's a chance that someone like a Jamar Jefferson could actually play, score some touchdowns if Swift is inactive. And so I might lean a little bit more in that direction. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I didn't wind up ranking any of these guys maybe as high as I'm seeing from other people. I did have Hill one spot over Williams. I basically put them right next to each other thinking sort of along the lines you said that the Williams certainly has the the red carpet laid out for him. But Hill, I think, is the one that if somebody ends up being particularly valuable at cost, I, it's probably Hill. I will say that, you know, this is a, a somewhat unique situation with the Ravens because of Lamar Jackson, you know, just <clears throat> getting so much defensive attention away from the running back. And it's going to be such an efficient offense for kind of downhill running backs. Gus Edwards wasn't really productive in college either and has been very productive here in this system. So I, I want to try to keep an open mind on Williams, like to the extent that I can get him very cheaply. Um, I think, you know, he is, he is interesting. Like if the, if the market likes him and I'm in a draft where he's below ADP, I would like to get a little bit of exposure, uh, even though his profile is definitely kind of littered with, with red flags. Pat, does it move Lamar Jackson to number one? I would think the only reason to not take the mild discount that we were getting on Jackson this year is the fact that Dobbins could be so good that they emphasize him a little bit down by the goal line. Now the offense may be a little bit worse, but Lamar Jackson is going to be Lamar Jackson either way. And now we could see him with, I mean, I, I really think that he was set to be the QB one before this. I mean, his scoring profile is just still better than the other quarterbacks. Uh, you know, it's better than Josh Allen. It's better than Patrick Mahomes. It's easier for him to get to that high level. Uh, should people be emphasizing Jackson now, you know, if, if they get to an area in their draft where it feels a little flat through their positions? I think so. I, I think what's interesting about Jackson is that it might come with a little bit of a discount too, because we've got Marquise Brown banged up. Um, Rashad Bateman's missed time, uh, so you're you're potentially having the the uh, the room a little bit less interested in him. And then you know if if you're more excited about his rushing profile as a result, I think it makes sense to take that discount uh, if it if it materializes. I've been on Jackson too. We have him uh, I think on three of the ten main event teams that we've drafted so far. Um, and he's he's a guy that I've had a lot of best ball exposure to as well. So I'm very much with you that I think the just kind of his range of outcomes has been underpriced. Like it's very hard to see Jackson not delivering a lot of fantasy value if he stays healthy just because of how much he runs. And then you do have outcomes where, especially down the stretch, once Bateman gets back, you know, and hopefully Brown gets over his hamstring and everything, this offense could be really explosive in 
ways that you know we haven't even seen yet even though it's generally already quite an explosive offense so um i think it probably helps jackson a little bit uh to your point uh with dobbins out now uh, i also think the weird thing with the ravens is that they just roll over people uh and then that sometimes hurts jackson's scoring as well so maybe with dobbins maybe if the if the run game is a little less efficient when they do hand off that also helps keep scores down early in the game and we get more out of Jackson. I like that take a lot. I think uh, it makes a lot of sense to to view this as a positive for Jackson. I want to go back to, real quick to, to 2019 when this offense was, was massively explosive and Jackson was obviously a huge fantasy football, you know, benefit, asset, whatever you want to call him. Mark, we met, you mentioned Mark Ingram before. Mark Ingram had 15 TDs in 15 games. He caught five touchdowns on only 26 receptions, just a ridiculous receiving TD rate. A lot of things ran really well for Ingram that year, and he only averaged 16.2 PPR points per game, which is not a particularly lofty ceiling-type type outcome. I think we almost think back to that outcome as being a little bit better than it was, and it, it segues really naturally to this legendary upside series that you've written this year, Pat, that we want to talk about. And you were looking at looking for legendary upside that was a lot higher. And it's a big reason why I'm not necessarily on Edwards. I'm not even necessarily on Williams in this backfield, because even if things break in a way where they have really strong efficiency, really strong touchdowns, I don't know that anybody can have legendary upside. I think Hill's maybe the one that could have uh, a, a smaller amount of upside at a really cheap cost. But tell us a little bit about the process that you, that you went through to, 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 get at this question of, you know, when we should be taking running backs and, and whether we should be taking running backs. One of the really fun findings was that you noted that the dead zone might start from pick one. And then, yeah, like, w- what did you find out? Who, who are some of the guys in the early rounds that are worth the risk? Yeah. So I, this is a, a three-part series. I'm currently furiously working on the third part, which I think will drop before this episode. So go check uh, NBC Sports Edge. Um, I should have the third part of that, which is the the part everyone's been wanting this whole time, which is where I say who to draft this year. Uh, uh, I'm kind of more spinning in terms of how I've been drafting and then and then giving recommendations, but kind of letting you, letting you into my process on how I've been approaching every one of these early round running backs um, through the lens of this legendary upside. So the first part of this series, I was looking at best ball win rates, and this is using best ball win rates to help guide our managed league, uh, league decisions because really everything about managed leagues makes running back selections in the early rounds harder uh, to, to pull off, not easier because you have the waiver wire uh, that can allow people to catch you, catch up to you. If you don't have those elite wide receivers, you have to make really tough decisions at wide receiver every week in terms of start sit. You can't catch up um, on the elite wide receivers with a bunch of wide receivers that are good but not great like you can in best ball. So looking at the best ball win rates was showing that, you know, if, if you just want to take kind of if you're looking by win rates or you're looking by average points in the early rounds it makes a lot of sense to draft running backs they're they're actually uh doing better than receivers in that range but the problem is that you know the averages are skewed by a couple monster seasons a couple of these legendary seasons Christian McCaffrey's 2019 Todd Gurley's 2017 these types of seasons are producing win rates that are absolutely off the charts in ways that we do not see at wide receiver Devontae Adams last year doesn't have one of these incredible, you know, 30% win rates that we got out of Christian McCaffrey in 2019. He has a very good win rate, but uh, it's not to the level of, you know, the pure ceiling you can get from these running backs. Because fundamentally what's happening in running back is it's a low scoring position 
And then you have a few guys who are just going absolutely nuclear. And so it gives you an advantage on the field in a way that you're not generally going to get with an elite wide receiver because wide receivers score a lot of points and there's a lot of them who score points. So uh, I think that was like the, the big key finding, which is that if you're going to be taking a running back early, then you want a guy who has access to this type of gigantic legendary season. The second piece of the article, I went back to the to 2000, uh, looking, uh, leaned heavily on Rotovis tools as well for this, looking uh, using the Rotovis screener and um, looking at uh, the, the Rotovis metric expected points and uh, fantasy points over expectation here. And Went back to the, to 2000 and looked at all the running backs who've had at least 12 games played and 23 points per game in PPR, and tried to see like what you know what's this profile? What you know who are these guys and how have they been doing it? What's really interesting is that you see kind of a shift, and Sean's talked about this as well. You see a shift really very clearly towards receiving, where Dalvin Cook is the first running back since 2000. Nine, 2009 was the last one of these that we saw before Dalvin Cook, where he had one of these seasons on less than four receptions per game. So that four receptions per game has been absolutely critical for all the guys um, 2010 on. Uh, that's a huge, huge finding, I think. And then the other thing is that since 2007, we haven't had a running back who wasn't efficient in the receiving game using Rotoviz's fantasy points over expectation. Uh, for the receiving. So it's not just that these guys are getting a lot of receptions. It's that the guys who are able to become legendary fantasy football running backs are good receivers. The, the NFL is moving towards the past. And so we actually need a running back who doesn't just kind of fall into volume, but is like earning volume. It's, it's sort of, it's a, it's a smart move for the coaches to be using this guy in the passing game. So that's the two biggest things is also, you know, you need, you, you're going to need touchdowns. You're going to need touchdowns from this guy. Um, and so that comes in with, with weight, generally guys who have been, you know, 210 plus have had a little easier time getting the goal line role. We need it. We need a clear goal line role. Offensive line play helps a lot as well, because you're going to need a guy to put up an efficient season. If you're going to be putting up 23 plus points per game, you know, if you look at the expected points workload, uh, no one's going to have 23 plus points per game uh, in terms of just their expected points, really. So you're going to need someone who's producing efficiently um, and offensive line play can help there. And then talent, you know, you, you want a guy who I think you believe in, in the talent. So um, I would say the guy who who's changed the most for me after doing the series early is Kamara. Kamara, I think is the one Oh two this year. We probably had it wrong, um, especially because, now we've had some things break. It's easy to say that now because Jameis Winston's been the starter. But I think even when Thomas was out, that was when Kamara clearly became the, the 102 based on profiles. Uh, as I mentioned, Cook is the first guy since 2009 to have a season without uh, four receptions or more. That puts him in a precarious position to repeat. Um, ben, you, you also had a, a really interesting stat on him in terms of how many, uh, you know, carries with carries and opportunities within the three uh, yard line that he had, we don't necessarily want to be betting on that either. So um, I think Kamara, because of the receiving volume, because of the efficiency, because of how talented he is, because the Saints offensive line is excellent. Um, I think there's a number of ways that the season can play out. 
and Kamara absolutely smashes. Um, he can have just an absurd receiving volume. I think he can be extremely efficient. Like he could kind of have a Todd Gurley 2017 type season if the offense is able to push the ball downfield a little bit more. They're playing out of 11 personnel a lot, and they just can't simply cannot account for uh, Kamara rushing the ball. They could just feed him through the receiving game. There's a, like a few different outs for Kamara to just absolutely crush. And he's really the only guy where you can say – you know, in a 90th percentile outcome, he outscores Christian McCaffrey. I think everyone else needs to like hit the pure, pure ceiling in order to get anywhere near McCaffrey. I just want to take a second to thank you for tuning in to today's show. My name is Colin Kelly, co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the great Sean Siegel. We do appreciate each and every listener. And as a thank you to each of you, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass. We're heading at full speed towards the season. Make sure you're ready. Get yourself access to all the content and tools up on the Road of His website. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout to get yourself that 10% discount. Now let's go and dominate the fantasy leagues in 2021 we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Pat, when I like hear you give the criteria for a legendary running back, it takes me kind of back to this situation where I'm like, I'm drafting Christian McCaffrey number one, and I'm hoping to get as many one-on-ones as possible, which so far there have been zero. But we're taking CMC there, and then really, you know, it's zero running back because other people don't hit. Now, obviously, Kamara up to the 102, Ben and I were talking about that last week. Obviously, like you mentioned, probably should have been there earlier. Most of the rest of the first round then looks like pretty bad picks. We have... Eckler, who maybe doesn't fit your size profile, and even with the receiving, doesn't have the expected points that you need. We have Aaron Jones, who I think is maybe underrated generally as a reality back, but has somehow become overrated as a fantasy back. The last couple of years, he's at 15.4 EP, I believe, and he can outperform that because he's awesome because the Packers offense is very good. But I mean, 15.4 is not the starting point that you need. And now A.J. Dillon is there and could cut into that. 
And so when I wrote the article uh, a month ago before all the bad things happened with the Colts, I was saying, look at Jonathan Taylor. He's got the profile of Elliot, Gordon, Gurley, Fournette. Fournette, obviously, the guy who turned out actually not to be that great at the NFL level. But those guys emerge as receivers in year two, year three, and then you have the legendary upside. Obviously, Barkley is there with the injury. I mean, are Barkley and Taylor really the next guys that we're looking at, or do they have too many red flags to consider also in this area? No, I think that they are targets. Uh, I completely agree with you with Aaron Jones. One thing that's interesting about Aaron Jones to me is that even if you go back and look at uh, his his 2019 season when he scored 19 touchdowns in, in 16 games, he ran really hot. Seven of those 19 touchdowns came from outside the green zone. He only had 1.4 green zone opportunities per game. And when I went back and looked at the profile, pretty much I, I literally, literally everyone had 1.5 or more who had these legendary seasons. And uh, most guys were at two, I believe 80% of the running backs who hit uh, the legendary thresholds were uh, having two opportunities within the 10 yard line per game. So he's well short of that. And just, he's very good. He's very good. And he was very good in 2019. And so that really helped. But given that he came in at 208, he's actually on the lighter side, given that there's AJ Dillon who can, who can steal all these touchdowns. I think Jones is, uh, is pretty, pretty scary where he's being drafted in the first round. Taylor is a guy that uh, I don't have yet in the main event, and I would really like to correct that because he actually was good as a receiver last year. Um, pretty good in yards per route run, uh, 1.39 yards per route run. That actually compares favorably to Saquon Barkley, who has a career yards per route run of uh, 1.38. So he's a little bit better last year than than Barkley's been over his career as a receiver. Now it's a little, you know, it's different where uh, Taylor's going to be more taking screen houses, screen passes to the house. Um, but that's good. We like that. So uh, I don't know that he'll be like a high, high volume receiver, but he can get, I think, to like just over four receptions per game, like we saw from a Todd Gurley, uh, you know, more that type of profile than than a Camara Christian McCaffrey type of profile. But that'll do it if we're getting a lot of touchdowns from him and we're getting big plays. And with Taylor, you can very – it's really easy to imagine – how he has a lot of big plays, given what we saw out of him last year, given the talent there on the offensive line. I also think he might see some more receiving. One of the other key factors that I did, that I failed to mention in, in setting this up was second-year players are the ones where we see big changes in opportunity, and you don't tend to see that elsewhere. So if you're going to be betting on a guy to see a lot more receiving volume than the previous year, I would try to limit that to – second year players so he at least fits that too where we could see him jump up where he was used in the receiving game but not enough now in his second year he's able to see a little bit more maybe with Wentz limited you know dealing with the issue he's not running around as much they dump off a little bit more to him so I think Taylor is a guy uh very clearly a target in the early second um and then Saquon Barkley I think well I'm I'm like Mildly nervous about Saquon. We actually have him on two of the main teams that we've drafted. Um, so I am in on him, but I, I'm a little bit nervous just because of how much his receptions dropped with Eli Manning, then down to Daniel Jones, where I think he's going to need some big plays to 
deliver the legendary value this year. Like, I don't think they're just going to feed him as a receiver like they did when he was a rookie. And they have a really bad offensive line. They, It's possible the Giants have the worst offensive line in the league when we look back at this season. So that makes me a little nervous. I think I'm good on Saquon. Like two, well, I'll ultimately have 15 main event teams. Two out of 15 seems great. <laughs> I don't want any more, more than that. So that's kind of where I'm at. And then Taylor, I'm, you know, I would, I would very much like to have exposure to him too. Um, I'm sure we'll get to Gibson, but he's a guy that uh, I think I w- I'd want Taylor over Gibson at this point. But, um, but I also think Gibson has some outs to where he can do the Taylor type of profile where he doesn't actually become that Christian McCaffrey type. There is a guy playing third downs to some extent, but he's able to on like just over four receptions per game, deliver the big plays, deliver the explosiveness, and then just totally own the goal line role and get there on that. Be more kind of like a Dalvin Cook, what we're hoping from Dalvin Cook this year than you know what we're hoping from Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey. You mentioned the weight. We obviously have someone like McCaffrey there at the top. We have a Jamal Charles who I, I like a little bit of these smaller guys and some of the things that they can bring. How much is that keeping you off someone like right now, the back that just seems kind of crazy to me, not in terms of even his floor, but in terms of thinking about this massively wide range of outcomes is Clyde Edwards Alaire. And now that he's going in round three, and we're seeing teams in the first half of drafts be able to take him as their third round pick. And it seems to me like that gives those teams just insane upside compared to the field. Is that the case or is number one way to concern or are you thinking that, you know, should we be thinking that Edwards Allaire is just bad? I mean, his profile is not that much better than, you know, people who were undrafted and, and that kind of thing. But being there with the Chiefs, I think, is a big, big deal. I think it's a big deal too. Um, I don't think the weight's really that much of a concern with Clyde Allaire because the weight is just sort of a signal on the goal line role. Like the, the weight I think really only matters because we, we don't get to decide who teams use at the goal line and they seem to care about how big these guys are for that. With uh, Edwards Elaire, I mean, that may be part of the reason, you know, why they were so quick to kind of move away from him last year on the goal line, <clears throat> but they're not going to move to Jarek McKinnon or, Daryl Williams on the goal line. That's not going to happen. Maybe they maybe they keep doing kind of the weird Andy Reid stuff where they just refuse to run at the goal line. But if a running back has a big goal line role on this team, it's going to be Edwards Elaire. So the weight isn't too much of a concern. The is he just bad is definitely a concern. Um, he was the only one of these guys uh, in the early rounds who was inefficient as a receiver last year in FPO and inefficient as a rusher last year as well in FPO. So you have Joe Mixon, who was bad as a rusher. At least he was good as a receiver. Uh, everyone else um, was was above average as a rusher. Um, and then Aaron Jones is actually the, the only other guy who was bad as a receiver, uh, just barely below uh, expectations as a receiver. So that's not great that, you know, he's the only guy who is inefficient in both categories when we want, we need the efficiency on both sides. And the other thing that's concerning to me about Edwards Elaire is he had a yards per route run of 0.98, which is a lot closer to Derrick Henry at 0.91 than, you know, McCaffrey at 1.71 or Alvin Kamara at 2.06. Like Edwards Elaire was not good as a receiver last year. And he also wasn't that good 
from a yards per route run perspective in college. He was a high volume receiver, but he wasn't particularly efficient. So that's like that's the concern where you know you look at the one bright spot in his his um, efficiency profile and it's elusive rating. He had a sixty seven point one elusive rating. That's pretty nice actually. That's in line with you know where Dalvin Cook's been in his career almost. Um, actually, a little bit better than Dalvin Cook's career elusive rating. So that's good. The thing that is making me nervous about it is like, is he just kind of Josh Jacobs? Like, is he you know a guy that we're thinking would be kind of a an NFL receiver? And is kind of just ultimately a little bit whatever in that role. And then the offense is is designed in a way that they're never going to just uh, really deliver receiving value to that to the running back in a big way. Like I actually think his his path to four plus receptions is a little thin. Um, he had two point eight last year. He can get there. He can get for sure. But he I think needs to take basically a f- every snap type of role. And I'm not, I'm not sure he's good enough. So the discount on him into the third round has been has been nice, but it's kind of the thing where now I'm finally starting to really take him. Where I wasn't taking him too much in the late second. Now that he's in the early third, sometimes I think at that point you do want to be on him for sure. But I guess I'm less thinking he's the gonna you know unlock things in a huge way for those early teams. Uh, certainly, it's an advantage, but it's more like. Uh, to me, it's more like where you should be going, especially with the high ankle uh, or, or whatever the ankle issue is. You do want to see a little bit of discount that he's banged up already, too. Let's jump into some other sort of buzzy players that we're hearing, you know, preseason news on. Um, I know, too, that you were really high on in rookie season or Ramondre Stevenson and Kenny Gainwell. Ramondre looks like he might be sort of a priority late round target now. Curious where you're at on him right now. And then what your read is on Boston Scott and Gainwell and how you're approaching that in drafts. Yeah. So thank you for letting me talk about Ramondre Stevenson. That's very <laughs> uh, I love Ramondre Stevenson. I've been on Ramondre Stevenson since, you know, the jump, since the draft. Um, he is, these, the, these are the two guys who lead this class in career yards per route run. Uh, so that's, that's something that I really like to see, you know, that they were highly efficient receivers um, and then with Stevenson, you also have this big size that offers versatility. Now the Patriots are probably the worst team in the league if you're if you're trying to bet on versatility since they pigeonhole guys into one role or another. Um, but there's also the possibility if you're just betting on him to emerge in his rookie year, he has two paths. Um, you know, he can get on, he can get in there as a receiver, he can get in there as kind of a, a Damian Harris handcuff type. So he probably still needs an injury. I don't think he's going to just purely pass Harris or purely pass uh, White. But in terms of contingency value, I think he has extremely high contingency value because there's two guys that could go down. You know, whichever of those guys misses time, I think he would see an increased role because of that versatility. So especially when you're seeing him just kind of tear things up um, in in the preseason um, and you've got, you know, the reason to think he might be very talented. He also had a very, very strong career elusive rating guy breaks tackles and he can be used in the receiving game. You know, in terms of last round picks, I think he's really nice in managed leagues. I think um, I'm a little bit more interested too, because if it's just not happening for him, uh, we can move on. And uh, you know, if he's not getting mixed in at all, if they clearly kind of have him buried, if like Brandon Bolden is coming in 
you know, and playing ahead of him as like a third guy, we can move on. So in best ball, I haven't been on him as much, but I'm trying to, I've been trying to get him on my managed league teams a lot because I, I at least want to see if he even has any kind of role in week one. Cause if he has, if he's clearly the running back three there, then the contingent value uh, is going to have me wanting to, uh, to hold him on my roster for as long as possible. How about Gainwell? Yeah. So Gainwell is a uh, Pete Overzet kind of like re uh, ignited the fire for me with Gainwell. Cause, cause I was starting to get too focused on how gross the situation in Philly is um, where, you know, you've got Boston Scott, you've got Miles Sanders. They're talking about using Jordan Howard at the goal line and stuff. Like it's really gross. And uh, you know, it's it's like, okay, how do I even see Gainwell doing anything this year? But Gainwell led the class in yards per hour run. He's extremely explosive. He, uh, Sean noted, played ahead of Antonio Gibson in a huge way when they were at Memphis. Uh, very productive. So there's like a, a ton of reasons to like Kenneth Gainwell. I Entering the draft, I thought he was going to go in the second round. I was extremely high on, on Kenny Gainwell prior to the NFL draft. He goes day three. That kind of crushes my dreams, but we see that guys can emerge, you know, from these crowded situations. I mean, Gibson is an example. It looks so crowded last year and slowly it looks less and less crowded. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's taking over. Uh, I'm skeptical of Miles Sanders as a talent. I'm skeptical of Boston Scott as a talent. Scott had that nice uh, touchdown in the preseason and I don't think he's bad. And I don't think Miles Sanders is bad, but I don't think those guys are stars there's a chance Gainwell's simply a star. And if it, I think that's something we sometimes underrate in fantasy, and you guys have talked about this too. If, if a guy is a star, that changes everything, you know? And so uh, I guess I don't want to spend too much time trying to like think of specifically how the season breaks for Gainwell. It's just that he has a profile that indicates there is a chance he is a star at the NFL level. Therefore, he should be on my fantasy teams. Maybe within that context, take us through the Rams' backfield now. We know that Henderson is another one of these guys who can create big plays. He's a, a highlight runner, but beyond that, has sort of struggled at the NFL level. He's also struggled a little bit to stay healthy. Michelle's this first-round pick washout who ends up getting traded, but was both better in limited opportunities last season, kind of had a bounce back season, and then was generating enough buzz out of training camp to actually, you know, get traded for um, something for the Patriots to be able to get something back there and maybe has a better early down kind of profile, maybe has a better goal line profile, maybe just, you know, ends up as the back there. Uh, When we did our Rotoviz main event team last night, we did go ahead and draft Henderson at the end of round five sort of as our only early round running back. And so that's a, a very fragile guy to have kind of as the anchor there. How should we, we be looking at this Rams backfield now? Is Michelle going to end up being the guy in the league winner? So Michelle went uh, at the 10-12 in the main event that we did yesterday. And I'm actually kind of kicking myself for at least not. We didn't have him top of mind. We ended up taking Devin Singletary over him. Um and then he he went one pick after, and we all kind of were like, wait, should we have been taking Sonny Michelle over different Singletary? And I think the answer to that is probably yes, partly because that's not where Michelle's ADP is going to settle. I think it's going to settle higher than that. So just getting some additional exposure to him at a very cheap cost uh, would have been nice. I don't, but I think you know that's kind of the range. It's not like 
crazy that we took Singletary over him, though, either. I think that's kind of the range that you want him in. And I think Henderson may have some room to fall to, you know, maybe where he gets into more like round eight. He went round seven in this one we did yesterday. Um, if Henderson does fall to round eight, if Michelle moves up more to like late round eight, or, you know, mid round nine, something like that, then at those prices, I want Henderson. Uh, I think Henderson has the potential on a limited role to deliver a lot of value where I'm more skeptical on Michelle than that. I'm also somewhat skeptical that Michelle can handle and be good on a big role. Like we saw enough out of him in New England where I know he was pretty good last year and he had a bit of a bounce back year, but it was on very limited volume. And the bull case for Michelle is that he sort of just takes over the backfield. And I think if that happens, you know, he's not going to be efficient. Like I, that's like a bridge too far for me to imagine an efficient, efficient workhorse owning Michelle. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm not buying it. I'm sorry. So, I mean, I guess it's not impossible, but I would really like to, you know, keep the cost low if that's the bet. Um, and if the cost is similar between him and Daryl Henderson, you know, the, the most likely outcome here is a committee and a one, two punch type of scenario is a spot where I want to be having the Henderson side you know, if the cost is is ultimately going to be within a round or so of each other. And I think that's where we're moving. I think Henderson's coming down. You're starting to see some Michelle, some Michelle buzz, some Michelle um, bull cases being made. Michelle also, I think, has a profile that's generally more appealing. You know, it's like he's going to be kind of a more traditional starting back if he ultimately is the starting running back. And that type of profile tends to get drafted ahead of the space back profile. So I'm also, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be drafting Henderson right now personally, because I think there's going to be room to get him cheaper later. Like I think he might fall maybe to maybe He might settle in more like mid to late round seven. Um, and at, at that point, if you needed a running back, I could, I could see taking him there. Well, I think we got to talk about, Washington a little. I think Sean wanted to ask why you're so high on Jared Patterson's backup, Antonio Gibson, right, Sean? (laughs) We've got Patterson in there dominating three down back, Maurice Jones, Drew. I mean, they they think that he's Maurice Jones, Drew, and Darren Sproles is what I've heard from reading the Washington folks. So how can Antonio Gibson compete with those guys? Well, I think very well, given that those guys didn't really do anything as rookies. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think that's ultimately his best case scenario if, if that's who he turns out to be. Uh, no, but I mean, yeah, I think Patterson can ultimately be awesome uh, and work into work into a a role uh, alongside Gibson, and Gibson could still have an incredible twenty twenty one. You know, McKissick, I believe, is a free agent after the year. If Patterson comes in and takes a lot of that McKissick role, I think that makes a lot of sense. It might be something the team would like to see happen. Um, from like a team planning perspective, that would be awesome for them. Uh, but I guess the thing with Gibson for me is that early on in the offseason, you know, there's, you've got the the DCCMC stuff and, you know, it's just so easy to see them. Oh, they're going to kind of turn him into the workhorse every down guy. He's going to give him all the snaps and he's just going to be an absolute smash. That path has definitely gotten a lot thinner. Uh, we're not seeing him take the, the, the third down snaps over from McKissick in the preseason. And I think that is indicative uh, of, of how they're going to be used, especially early in the season. 
I think he still has maybe some path to taking over more of that work as the season goes on. But they have a pretty good offensive line, one that ultimately could be really good. And you've got an offense that's moving in the right direction in terms of overall efficiency. And you've got Peyton Barber as the guy who would be challenging him at the goal line. So I still think you have an out with Gibson of long touchdown runs, big-time goal line roll, and sufficient receiving to get there, like we've seen from Dalvin Cook, like we've seen from Todd Gurley, that type of, um, you know, kind of the, the – I mean, frankly, like you saw from, like, Jamal Charles, although he's not to that level of talent. But you're, you're looking for a guy who can deliver a lot of efficiency in both phases of the game He's probably not going to be like a 80% snap guy, but I still think he has a lot of upside, even if he settles more into kind of a clear lead, um, clear lead back with some third down work, some passing down work, um, just probably not all of it. Pat, kind of take us out with a take on your favorite 2020 wide receiver prospect who has now been Odell Beckham in camp and yet still might be behind Quez Watkins. What are we looking at with the receivers in Philadelphia? You mentioned Devontae Smith, difficult to get and appears to be the one, but that Philadelphia offense could be exciting. It could be terrible. It could be through the tight ends. We don't really know. Are, are you thinking that Rager is a good breakout opportunity this year. One of the things that I like with the second year receivers is I like to take basically all of them. I like to take the guys who are good because they're going to go from fourth round picks to second round picks. But I also like to pick the guys in round 11, 12, 13, because if they do bounce back, they can bounce back in a huge way next year, be fifth round picks. So kind of either way, I like it. Colum and I, in our main event, we took both Rager and Watkins, hoping at least one of them, they don't just completely balance each other out. How should we be playing Philadelphia? Well, let me just uh, offer me a couple already on Maurice Jones-Drew, who actually apparently was quite productive as a rookie, although Darren Sproles is not. So, <laughs> so if he's, if he's Jones-Drew, it's bad for Gibson. If he's Sproles, it's great. Um, but uh, but uh, in Philadelphia, um, I think that, yeah, the price, the price here makes a big, big difference, uh, especially because with Philadelphia, you've got this issue where they were rotating their wide receivers in a big way last year in a way that made no sense. And... Uh, may have ruined Travis Fulgham's career because he got so mad they benched him and he's never recovered uh, that, you know, they were playing Alshon Jeffrey over him, which I, which I get, man, I totally get. Uh, and then you have the Colts were the only team that were also doing this last year and their OC is now the head coach. So that I think is a major worry that you've got the potential for them to be running like a four or five man wide receiver rotation again, like they were last year. That's bad for everybody. That also makes me nervous about Devonta Smith especially given that, like I said, you know, you're baking in a lot of presumed opportunity to a rookie with his price, which I am skeptical of in the first place, regardless of all this kind of Eagles rotation stuff. So that's definitely a concern for me with Rager too, where there's just, we're not going to be happy about any of these guys if they, if they do that. The thing that I think is maybe good in that regard is that Greg Ward appears to have been passed. Greg Ward was the only guy who was actually kind of out there for every, every kind of slot snap last year. But Greg Ward stinks, and so and Greg Ward is not versatile. To have Quez Watkins out there in the slot, I think, is a good thing for Smith and Rager, uh, provided he's not a superstar and ends up, you know, playing ahead of Rager in uh, in two wide receiver sets. That would obviously be terrible. But if he's just, you know, if he's good and Rager's good, 
then I think having him out there is helpful because Watkins can also play on the outside. So you allow some more versatility for the offense. Maybe you see Smith in the slot sometimes. Maybe you see Rager in the slot sometimes. So you're getting a little bit more versatile route tree for everybody. Um, Watkins, I think, is just going to be better than Ward. And so that's potentially creating some more scoring opportunities for the offense, helping sustain drives. So I think that's been a good thing to see. Also, Fulgham has kind of, I mean, he's on the roster bubble. Um, if he's not getting rotated, he would be kind of the most obvious guy to get rotated in a lot. If that's not happening, that's really good for everybody. John Hightower hasn't been really part of the picture. So having this condense a little bit more is actually one of the key things that I'm looking at. You know, just getting more routes for the top three guys would be huge. I mean, that alone honestly would be huge. Um, and then you also do need Rager to improve his efficiency from last year, which was not very good. He's been kind of all over the place in terms of the preseason stuff. He's looked good sometimes. Sometimes it's looked absolutely terrible. You hear that he's just absolutely crushing camp. You hear that he's not having a good camp. So it's kind of, it's been real night and day with him, but he is a second year player. He's a first round pick. He was highly productive in college. He declared early. He's young. He's got like everything. He's got sufficient size. He's got sufficient athleticism. He's really got everything we want. And to some extent, I want to just kind of blindly bet on that profile. And you see guys like DJ Shark emerging in year two with a worse profile, but he had the draft capital back him up. You know, you see Michael Gallup breaking out, didn't have a great profile, had some draft capital behind him. You see these guys in year two that will will emerge. And so, you know, at the price that you have to pay for Rager, it's really hard not to draft him. I'm actually struggling to not draft Rager. Like the, in my best ball teams, I'm like, coming up with alternative plans of like, you don't need another Rager share, man. <laughs> You're going to have to figure something else out. Like Gabriel Davis is a guy who's finally starting to drop a little bit with the Emmanuel Sanders stuff playing ahead of him. And that's been great. Cause now I'm like, great, great. I can take, I can take Davis now and I can, I can mix it up, but I'm, I'm struggling to figure out ways to keep my exposure on Rager in check. Uh, one of those ways is that Pete Overset doesn't seem to want to draft him in our main event team, so that's helping me keep my overall exposure <laughs> in check. But, but uh, you know, overall, uh, I'm very much in on Rager. I think there's plenty of paths to him failing. Um, there's probably there's more paths to him failing than, than to him succeeding. But when this type of player succeeds, they often succeed in a really big way. Love it, and and yeah, I mean, we got to remember he missed five games last year. Pretty small sample in a in an offense that was just imploding for most of the entire season. So, you know, we would have probably liked more production, but it wouldn't be completely, you know, ridiculous to see him turn it around in a way where last year looks like a blip in his long-term, you know, NFL career. Pat, what can we look forward to? You mentioned that your third running back article in the legendary upside series is probably already out when this uh, podcast is airing. What can we look forward to? from you uh in the regular season yeah um and that article by the way i the way i'm laying it out is i'm i'm basically doing two scenarios i'm doing like going into the future and seeing what happened laying out exactly kind of the receptions and the touchdowns that these guys got in the bull case and in the bear case and just kind of laying thinking like thinking through this the scenarios in which they crush versus which they bust uh, in in some real detail, which has been fun to write and I think will end up being a really fun read. So definitely check that out. In season, I'm going to be doing a, our preview column at uh, at NBC Sports Edge that will be dropping Fridays, uh, doing kind of a, a, a look at the upcoming games through a stats-based lens. 
um, getting into stuff, you know, like this wide receiver rotation, if we're seeing that, you're going to be hearing about it from me there. And I think that, you know, that type of stuff can be really impactful. Um, so looking for uh, any of those types of trends, uh, which should be useful for basically every type of fantasy, DFS, uh, you know, season long, whatever, uh, kind of applicable uh, along a wide range there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, just going to be uh, in the blurbs, doing doing all the news blurbs. Be, uh, you know, make sure you got the app, the NBC Sports Edge app. Uh, all the blurbs are coming. Tomorrow is the cut down date. Tomorrow apparently is is going to be wild and intense uh, with all of the uh, all of the cuts that we got to cover. So uh, that'll be, uh, you know, that'll that'll be a kind of a big part of, of what I'm doing throughout the season as well. That sounds awesome, Pat. You were a fantastic guest as always. If you could get in there and make sure the Rojo blurbs are a little bit less enthusiastic, we we want him to be as inexpensive as possible given the competition there in Tampa Bay. That was Denny. I'll talk to Denny yeah. about that because that was a very enthusiastic Rojo blurb, and we don't need that right now. There's, there's not a, a lot of the guys in the ninth round have been uh, have been moving up, so we don't need Rojo enthusiasm. Well, Patrick Crane, fantastic guest as always. We appreciate him coming on today's episode of Stealing Bananas. That'll do it for today's show. I'm Sean Stealing. With me is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. We're getting more and more celebrity endorsements of the Stealing Signals newsletter. So uh, if you want to be reading the same thing the celebrities are reading, make sure you get your subscription to that. Also, if you just want the best fantasy information on the planet, uh, that's a different reason, maybe a, a less important reason to subscribe, but it will help you win your fantasy leagues. Uh, one of this has been cranking out the content the last, well, the last 12 months, but the last week has been fantastic. If you want to subscribe to our site and get a discount, you can use the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. That will get you 10% off. Uh, please subscribe to Stealing Bananas. We've been having a blast with you guys. You'll get the shows as soon as they release. Thank you for all of the great ratings and reviews. And speaking of that, I did want to mention, I've done a horrible job on this. Don't blame Ben. Don't blame Colin. Uh, It is on me. The winner of our sixth month subscription is Morgana Faith. We had a fantastic review there. Uh, If you could send a note to Dave Cabin at the Rotoviz Radio Gmail. If you have any questions, uh, just get in touch with us in a different way. And if you don't hear this, we'll make sure we reach out to you. Thank you to everyone who participated in that. We'll have another contest that I will execute better sometime in the near future. Until that time, uh, thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you soon.